This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, July 25th, 2021. David, failure. Well, good morning, Connection Church. Here in the sanctuary, there at home, on the road, wherever you might be. Today we conclude our series on David. As we explored the last three weeks, David was faithful, David was fearless, and he also met quite a bit of friction throughout his life. In addition, even though David was a man after God's own heart, David was human, and as a result, made some bad choices, resulting ultimately in some failure. That's what we're going to be focused on this morning, David's failure. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to see you today. And those of you online, I see some of your names. We've got Bob and Courtney and Angela and Cheryl and Kelly. Hey, Kelly, Doris and Phyllis and Linda and David, my brother, it is um, great to have all of us together. We are one church, many locations, and it's also great to see some faces that we haven't seen um, through the pandemic as we kind of venture back mm -hmm. together um, as a body of Christ. Let's get started with some prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this day that you've made. And now, God, wherever we are, whether it's here or at home or somewhere else. Help us have some focus, Lord. Remove the distractions so that we can hear what you would have to say to each one of us. Thank you for your word found in scripture, for uh, David and what we can learn from him. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Failure. Not a great word to hear as we're starting <laughs> off here. Um, it, there's a simple definition of failure in the dictionary, and it's lack of success. Lack of success. You know, I tried, I failed, I was unsuccessful. For example, I put all the ingredients together that Pinterest told me to. It looked really good in the picture. We ate it, and it was horrible. Failure. <laughs> or how about um, he had a million ideas tried, it just bombed. Failure. <laughs> How about uh, they told her that she was a failure, she didn't listen and proved them wrong. I like this one. Proved them wrong, and she wasn't a failure. <laughs> Generally speaking, failure means lack of success. So today we're going to be a little bit more specific when it comes to failure. Our, our focus this morning is on moral failure. Moral failure, failure to be faithful to God and those around us, uh, failure to avoid temptation, failure when it comes to steering clear of sin. Our focus today is David's failure to make good moral choices and decisions and the resulting consequences that came about. And so before we jump into scripture, I um, see through my news feed right now, one of our online attenders is in an ER and in Oklahoma. So we want to pray for Cheryl. Um, Lord, we lift Cheryl up to you right now. Um, you are the great physician. Thank you that um, we're aware 
of the situation. Please be with Butch as he navigates through this time. And thank you that they are part of our extended family of Christ. We lift Cheryl up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's jump right into scripture this morning. We're taking a look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, sounds like once upon a time, mm -hmm. in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Draba. But David remained at Jerusalem. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been where you're not supposed to be? Okay, yeah. Like first service, I think we kind of have pretty much consensus there at one time or another. Most of us say yes. And what usually happens when you're not where you're supposed to be? Trouble. That's exactly what they said first service. Yeah. So trouble. Capital T rhymes with, I don't know, it's trouble, right? Trouble, trouble. There trouble you go. in River City. Anyway, was that Music Man? Huh? Trouble, trouble. Yeah, Music Man. Anyway, yeah. something came to mind when we were talking about this uh, at the first service. <laughs> and I remember a time when I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And in fact, Oh, you're saying you were with me, so you, it's a place you shouldn't have been. Well, <laughs> when we got home, my father was out on the sidewalk. Well, it was only 4.30 in the morning on, on, well, it was actually New Year's Day by then. I told she didn't have a curfew. She told me she didn't have a curfew. They never I gave believed you time. Her. I said, when's your curfew? I don't have to be home. I knew I was in trouble when father's name's Lou. Lou was out on the sidewalk. And I'd never seen Lou with a pipe in his mouth before. He was a stogie guy. When I saw the pipe, I knew something was different. And when Carrie said, two houses away, maybe you should let me off here, I said, you know what? You're a smart girl, you know? That's a capital idea. Oh, boy. Well, you was... only got grounded for two weeks. Yeah, only two weeks. <laughs> anyway. Bad things happen when you're not where you're supposed to be, Carrie. Yep. That's exactly right. But not David, not this time of year. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's right. And so he sent a guy named Joab. Now, Joab was his nephew, and he was the commander of the army, along with his servants and all of Israel. And while David didn't go with him, David stayed home. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And when that's the case, there's a great opportunity for something bad to happen. So we pick up 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. This is the English Standard Version this morning. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Sounds like he's got his bathrobe and slippers on, doesn't it? Just going for a leisurely little stroll on the roof. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Hello. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, it, it, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So instead of being on the battlefield, 
surrounded by his men, David was taking a leisurely stroll on his rooftop lounge. And one afternoon, after he took a nap, and from this vantage point, he could look down on other rooftops. Now, those of us who have been to India have seen this. We could be up on a rooftop and we could look down and see families gathered on their rooftops. And we actually have a picture of some little kids bathing on a rooftop. Well, one particular rooftop catches David's eye. Mm. And for good reason. These houses, there were pools on the back deck. And in this particular afternoon, there was a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. And she just happened to be bathing at the time that David was there admiring the scenery. And this was not unusual for her to have that, a, that pool in the back to bathe at. So it's not like she was out there um, uh, being uh, out of line or whatever like that. So anyway, so David sees her now. He had any number of options what to do next. He could have simply turned his head and surveyed what was on the other side of his house from the rooftop. Could have walked away. Could have gone downstairs, checked his email, paid some bills, played a video game, uh, turned on TV, watched a movie or an afternoon soap, right? Had that option. He could have closed his eyes, gotten on his knees, and prayed to the Lord to take away the temptation he was feeling from the glimpse of this woman taking a bath in the late afternoon, this woman who was breathtakingly beautiful. Unfortunately for David and for Bathsheba, he chose none of these options. So rather than turning away from the temptation one way or another, he turned toward it and he pursued it. You know, it's not the temptation that hurts us, is it? It's never the temptation, but what we choose to do in response to that temptation. Check out what we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, English Standard Version. For we do not have, I'm sorry, for we do, yeah, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, aspect, every respect has been tempted as we are. Say the last three words with me. Yet without sin. There's the key. Yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, but he turned from his temptation. Each and every one of us is tempted, as David was tempted, and we have a choice to turn away from that temptation or to turn toward the temptation. And turning toward the temptation never has a good outcome ever. We know that that's true in our lives, and we suspect that may be true in yours as well. Mm. And here's the thing. David knew right up front what he was getting into. It wasn't a surprise that he found out later. Because when he inquired about the woman, he was told her name. He was told who her daddy was and who her husband was. Hello? Right up front, he knew it was a married woman. And yet, he still sent for her. And he wasn't sending just to get information. He wanted his guys to bring her up. Sometimes in the movie, I was in a class in seminary called The Hebrew Bible Goes to the Movies. So we'd 
That What's, sounds like a cake course. You'd think so until you got to the 25-page paper I had to I write know. when I was okay. at the beach. Okay. 25 pages one. on movies. But anyway, uh, they had some old movies like, and a couple of, uh, I think one whole class was different movies with Bathsheba or, or sections of them. And some like the 40s or 50s, like she's this, you know, this temptress almost, luring. The, scripture doesn't indicate that in the least. That is nowhere in the scripture. It was strictly David seeing what he wanted and going after it and having her brought up to him. He used his position of power to take advantage of her, to violate her, in a word, to violate her, to change not only his life, but especially her life, the trajectory, the trajectory of her life forever after. Yeah. So when, David, when Bathsheba shares the news with David that his lust-fueled action had resulted in pregnancy, he continues to make self-centered and horrific choices, turning what's already a, a, a terrible tragedy into a catastrophe. He sends word to Joab, the commander of the army, the commander of the troops, to send Uriah, who's Bathsheba's husband, home. His plan is to cover his tracks by having Uriah sleep with his wife Bathsheba so that she'll think that the child is, or it will look like mm -hmm. the child is his. Now remember, pre-DNA testing. <laughs> but Uriah sleeps at the door of the king's house instead of saying, um, instead of going into the home with his wife. And so he just couldn't do it because his men were in the field and it wouldn't be the right thing to do. And so David says, well, that didn't work. So he got the next night he gets Uriah drunk, but to no avail. Uriah sleeps on the couch with David's servants, not again, again, not going to his own house. So isn't it ironic that Uriah, this man, this soldier, had more character than the king of Israel? Take that in. Wow. Now, unfortunately for Uriah and his wife, his character would cost him his life. So when he returned to the battlefield, little did he know, he was carrying his death sentence in his own hand because David sent through him a letter to the commander, to Joab, to put Uriah right in the front line of the fighting and for the rest of the troops to come back, to draw back, leaving him out there all alone to be struck down, to be killed in action. That was the plan, and that's exactly what happened. When the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so David now, in addition of being guilty of adultery, he was guilty of murder. You know, failure, moral failure, that's what we're talking about. Moral failure doesn't just happen. It's a result of bad choices. One bad choice, and then another bad choice. 
and then another bad choice. It began with David not being where he should have been. And then he followed that up with continuing to look where he shouldn't have looked. And then he took action doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. And when that went south, he tried to cover it all up, even digging a hole deeper than he was already in. What happened to David can happen to each and every one of us. Maybe not adultery, maybe not murder, but on the other hand, maybe, who knows, it's possible. Because failure is always lurking, moral failure, depending on how we handle the temptations we're in. Being where we should be, keeping our eyes where we should keep them, keeping our actions what they should be. And when we do mess up, owning it, not, not trying to cover it up, but owning it, owning our stuff. Coming clean rather than continuing to make bad choice after bad choice of those that we've already made. Piling it up. In the next chapter, chapter 12, the Lord sends a prophet, his name was Nathan, to David. Nathan tells David a story of two men, one rich, one poor. The rich man had a lot of flocks and herds, and the poor man had just one lamb. And scripture tells us that this poor man loved his lamb like it was a daughter to him. So the traveler comes to the rich man, and rather than taking from his own extensive flock or herd to offer hospitality, he took from the poor man's lamb, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the traveling guest. When David heard this story, he gets really angry, and he says that as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die and that he should restore the lamb fourfold. Mm. So we pick it up at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 to 15a. David had said, this man deserves to die. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. It's you. It's you. You're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil, evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the word, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. That is quite a word 
that Nathan brought David. There's a book, it's called 11 Indispensable Relationships You Cannot Be Without. It's by author, pastor, and theologian Leonard Sweet. And Sweet says that we all need a Nathan in our lives, someone who he calls an editor. Now that person is not afraid to, in the words of Sweet, quote, haul you before the tribunal of truth, unquote. <laughs> This person tells you what you need to know, what you need to hear, what you might not want to hear. This person is one who might hold a mirror figuratively in front of you. It's someone who encourages you, me, to take a look at something perhaps differently, to maybe reframe my words, give some different kind of thought to the situation where I may have missed the mark in a certain way. I am very thankful that there are a number of Nathans in my life. Nathans are important because they, they help us come and be in more and more of a likeness of Jesus Christ. So my Nathan's standing right next to me here. <laughs> He's my editor in many ways, and very literally speaking, when we write messages or other writing, Terry's an excellent editor. She, uh, you know, reads through it and makes corrections, tells me what things need to be changed. But in addition, she's my uh, Nathan, my editor, lets me know, holds that mirror up, forces me to look at myself, uh, let me know there's times I've gone too far or uh, hurt somebody's feeling when... Uh, sensitive, I'm as sensitive as I should have been when I've overstepped one way or another, when I uh, perhaps uh, need to apologize uh, to make things right. Uh, it's not easy having a Nathan. It's, you know, if I spend a lot of hours on a message and uh, says, well, I don't get this. I'm thinking, how can you not get it? It's just, but then I have to back off and say, okay, if she doesn't get it, then you guys aren't going to get it. And that's important. I have to really work to not take it personally and let my ego set it over here. And that doesn't always work. And so sometimes she gets some return that's not fair. It's hard being a Nathan receiver. It's also being hard being a Nathan, isn't it? It's hard having to tell somebody something you know that's going to be hard for them to listen to. And yet it's important to be able to do that. Um, um, it's absolutely crucial to have someone in your life who can do that. I encourage you, if you don't have a Nathan, get one. Get yourself a Nathan. It's very important. You know, it, it worked for David. It works for me. It will work for you. Here's Amen. the thing about finding a Nathan. It needs to be somebody who you trust with your life. Somebody who has kind of the permission to even speak into your life. There are people, I have some friends, um, and Alan, uh, absolutely, who... Am I a friend? Who can speak into my life, and I know that when they do that, it's really in my best interest. Mm. And so when they do that, I, I try not to get defensive. Mm. See, a true Nathan, it's not about them, it's about you. Right. Even though that might be hard to hear, it's about you. They're trying, even though that's hard for them to do sometimes. It's not about them. 
So where would you find a Nathan? Well, take a look at your relationships. Who is it that you trust with, with your life? Mm. You might find a Nathan in a small group. We encourage you to be in a small group and cultivate the relationship so that there are godly people who can speak into your life and be your Nathan. Mm. So let's get back to the story. Scripture tells us that the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, just as Nathan said, and the child became sick, and David fasted, and he prayed for a week, but to no avail because the child died. In addition, as Nathan had prophesied, the sword never did leave David's house. A latter-born son rose against him, and he had conflict in his family throughout his life. Hmm. But here's the thing that David found and that we find. Our God is a God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth. God does not give up on us. God allows us, God encourages us to try again. And even though God doesn't wave a little magic wand and make all the consequences of sin disappear. And it doesn't make everything right that you messed up, that I messed up. He does continue to love us and to redeem us and restore us. And somehow, he can use our shortcomings for his glory and for our benefit, oftentimes, if we let him. If we let him. Here's what happened after the death of uh, David and Bathsheba's first child. 2 Samuel 12, 24-25. And then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah, by the way, means beloved of the Lord. Yeah. In spite of David's failures that brought so much pain and misfortune to himself and to others, in spite of David doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in spite of all <clears throat> those things, the Lord continued to love David and the Lord made good out of some of the mess that David made. Now, here's the thing for every person here and on the other side of the camera to remember. Despite any mess that you have made, are making, or will make, the Lord is going to love you through that. The Lord isn't going to look at you and say, you know what, you are too messed up, I will not love you anymore. That is not God. The character of God is love. God equals love. God doesn't love because of anything we've, we've done. We can't do enough. We just need to say, here I am. But God's going to love you anyway, no matter if you love him back. That's the thing about God. God loves. And so the Lord continued to love David, and the Lord did make good out of David's mess. After the loss of their first child, the Lord blessed David and Bathsheba with Solomon. You may have heard of Solomon. He wrote Proverbs. Um, he is known as the wisest man who ever lived. Mm. And ultimately, out of the line of David came none other than Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Wow. 
God can really take a mess and do something with it, can he? Failure, moral failure. Happened to David, it can happen to you and me. And so with that in mind, we need to be careful. We need to avoid being at the wrong place, uh, avoid doing the wrong things, avoid uh, uh, seeing the wrong things, looking at the wrong things, doing the wrong things. We need to listen to our Nathan, look at ourselves squarely in the mirror, own our mistakes when we do mess up, seeking forgiveness from those around us, and most especially from God, asking Him to help us as we repent and head in a new direction. That's what repent means. Not just, I'm sorry, go out, do it again. I'm sorry, let's go in a new direction, closer to God. Most of all, we need to remember above all things that God loves us. Say with me, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Gosh. That God can somehow make good out of our failures. Now, as Paul says when somebody, you know, he says, that doesn't mean to keep failing so that God can do more good. That's not what that means. But God can take our mess-ups and somehow bring good out of them. Remember that God wants us to try again and try again through Jesus Christ and the power of God's Holy Spirit. A couple of scriptures I want to share with you. Kind of keep these in your back pocket. The first, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it with me. I can, I can do, do all things through Christ, Christ who strengthens, strengthens me. me. All things. Wow. And then second is the second one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4a. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Say it with me. New birth into a living hope. Wow through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Say those last four words, five words. Never, never perish, perish, spoil, spoil or, or fade. fade. Remember that. What a great scripture this is. New birth into a living hope. Living hope. Hope isn't something that's just static. Hope is alive. Living hope. Hope. I just get fired up when I think about that living hope. Born again, new birth in Christ. That's the ultimate in second chances. And that's available to you and to me, not just once or twice, but every single day. But here's the thing we've got to own our stuff. And so, you know, forgiveness can come and we can be forgiven and free and the burdens that we carry can be lifted and will be lifted when we hand them over to Jesus. But our part is this. It comes with a prayer of confession. Lord, I'm sorry, I've messed up. We, we've got to own it. A prayer of invitation. God, I need you. I need a savior. I'm not doing so hot doing it on my own. You know, I'm the Lord of my own life. That is not working for me. I need a Savior. And so, confession and invitation. The next one is probably the hardest one. A prayer of submission. I'm yours. Wow, what does that look like? Well, not my will, but your will. It could mean a whole lot of things for all of us. So three things, 
Confess, invite, submit. Confess, invite, into my life, submit. You know, that kind of thing isn't a one and done. Well, I mean, it's great when you do it for the first time, but as a believer in Jesus, I need to do that every day. That's part of my prayer. Sometimes multiple times a day. Lord, I messed up when my tone of voice was not what it should have been or when I snapped. Lord, you are the Lord of my life and I invite you to do a mighty work in my heart and I submit myself to you. I'm going to do it your way because my way doesn't work. And so if that is a prayer that you've never said, three words, say them with me again, <coughs> confess, invite, submit, all of us. And we're inviting you to think about those three words today as we conclude our service. Because the world tells us all kinds of things. There's all kinds of voices out there, aren't there? And those voices can play havoc in our head and tell us things that are absolutely not true, in fact, that are lies. And so when we listen to the voice of truth, which is Jesus, then we can submit our very lives to him because his will and way is best. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, don't waste another moment. Don't waste another minute because life is better, life is best, life is designed the way it should be when Jesus is part of it. We have this hole in our soul that we fill with everything else except Jesus, and then when Jesus comes in, there's this new reality of never ever being alone, feeling loved, never being separated. Yes, I still mess up, but I don't plummet where I used to plummet without him. And so we encourage you, to pray from your seats, to pray on the steps, to go back in the prayer corner. Venetia, can you go to the prayer corner? Awesome. And remember that you are not defined by your success, by your failure. You are defined by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we've been talking about today is moral failure. It's not how good you are. And we can absolutely have some control over that. Because when we're walking with Jesus, we're walking the line and doing life the way Christ wants us to go. So connection, that is the good news that Jesus is with us, that Jesus loves us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So when the chains are gone and we don't have to live that way anymore. Listen to the voice of truth. In the name of the Father and the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for David. David, who has taught us so much this month by uh, looking at his faithfulness, and we've, we've looked at um, his failure today. But Lord, you redeemed him, and Jesus, your son, has come from the house of David. Thank you so much for your word found in scripture. God, I pray that there wouldn't be a single person here that would leave without feeling a touch of your love.
that there wouldn't be a single person here who doesn't experience the depth of your forgiveness that people here would feel and experience your grace that we can't earn or buy it's just there thank you lord for your voice the holy spirit in our lives that your voice would direct us carry us and fill us we thank you and we praise you for this day and all days in the name of the father and the son and by the power of the holy spirit everybody agreed and said amen thank you for joining us for our podcast for more information about connection community church in middletown delaware please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.